John 10, <clears throat> verses 11 to 21. Hear then the Word of God. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He's who, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and he scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. And so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This is the charge that I have received from my Father. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, oh Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we come this Easter morn, this Resurrection Day, longing again to have our hearts touched by the truth and the power of the Gospel, of the good news that Jesus not only died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, but He conquers death and sin, and the devil, and hell, and He rises again to life. O living Christ, come near to us now. And in the power of Your Spirit, speak these things afresh to our hearts, that we might walk with You day by day as a good shepherd, in whose name we pray. Amen. Jesus is, as He tells us truthfully, Jesus is the good shepherd. The image is a familiar one. It would have been familiar to his hearers. It was a common profession in in those days. We have less shepherds around us now, but it was pretty common in those days. King David was a shepherd growing up. The Old Testament picks up on that imagery pretty powerfully at many places throughout the, the, the Bible. Many of you would be very familiar with Psalm 23, where God takes it upon Himself and uses that imagery to express, I am the Good Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. This is exactly what Jesus applies to Himself. In many ways, He takes Psalm 23 and puts Himself in the place of the shepherd. Offering Himself to His people. Jesus is the Lord who is our shepherd. The good shepherd is a... Jesus puts Himself forth, I am the good shepherd, as opposed to a bad shepherd. Bad shepherd is one that is <clears throat> not willing to take risks for the flock. Right? One of the things about the good shepherd is his willingness to protect the sheep at the risk, at the risk of his own life. This is a good shepherd who will stand between the sheep and the danger that threatens them. The sheep tend to pasture out in the wild. Many of you pasture out there in the wild. Um, that's, where, that's where we live out there, where there are dangers aplenty. There's a constant threat. There are various predators that threaten, constantly threaten the lives of the sheep. King David, when he talks about those days, more than once he tells stories about having to fight, actually 
fight off lions and bears. Can you imagine going toe-to-toe with a lion or a bear? Some of you guys are like, oh yeah, if I had a knife. If I had a big stick. Maybe, I don't know. I think about it toe-to-toe with a bear. Sometimes that's the cost. A good shepherd. A hired hand, on the other hand, they make bad shepherds. Because the sheep need protection from these kind of predators. Lions and maybe tigers and bears. But they make bad shepherds because they're not his sheep. They don't really care if the lion eats the sheep. It's not my sheep. I don't own it. I don't have anything invested in it. It's kind of the difference between renting and owning. And you've seen, sometimes you can walk through a neighborhood and tell the difference between who's renting and owning. Simply by looking. You know, you'll see the gutters hanging off the house. The leaves are still there from the fall. Nobody's raked them. The branches laying out front. The house needs painting, right? Because these are things a landlord should do. And the, and the renter doesn't own the house. So he's not going to invest in the house. He's not going to invest his time, his energy, and particularly his money in somebody else's house. The hired hand's like a renter. He's not willing to pay the price to protect. In the face of danger, he walks away. Verse 14, that was verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And 12 and 13, the hired hand who runs away. And in verse 14, Jesus reiterates the fact, I am, the I am statements of Jesus, I am, He says, the good shepherd, He says again. But this time, He's a good shepherd for another reason. He says, I'm the good shepherd because I know my sheep. I know my own. And my own know me. Good Shepherd knows his sheep by name. And you can, you can see this. It's a real thing. It's a thing. That shepherds can call even sheep as much as, as we would call a dog. You can call them by name. They know, they literally, they know the shepherd's voice. And they can recognize his call. And they will come to him. And they will follow him. So that when he leads, the sheep flock to Him, quite literally, and follow Him. He is a good shepherd because He has that kind of a relationship with His sheep. He knows His sheep. And His sheep know Him. And then He says something amazing in verse 15. He says, just as the Father knows Me and I know the Father. I don't know if you can think of a more intimate relationship in the universe, in the history of the universe, than that God the Father knows God the Son. And he says, I know my sheep. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I know my own. And this is for me where the metaphor starts to break down. This this divine relationship that speaks of something beyond uh, understanding. It goes beyond sheep and shepherd stuff. right? It starts to break down because he... Jesus has this flock of sheep. It's just a metaphor. He's talking about a people. He's talking Jesus has a people that are His own. A people that He knows. A people that He loves. A people that know Him. There's a relationship that has some depth and power to it. They are my own. Where does He get this flock? Well, interestingly, the Father gave it to him. You have to jump ahead to verse 27 to 29 in uh, Jesus is carrying this metaphor forward. He says in 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all and no one is going to be able to snatch them out of His hand. I and the Father are one. But 29 starts with, My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all. Jesus has a flock. Jesus has a people. And He says, The Father, God Almighty, has given them to Me. Entrusted them to Me. And He says, whatever the price, whatever the cost, as a good shepherd, I will not lose any. And I will bring them into this promise that He has of eternal life, He says. So 15, just as I know the Father and the Father knows Me, and I lay down My life for these sheep, I'll pay the price. And then He says in in the next verse in 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. They'll listen to My voice, and so there'll be one flock and one shepherd. It's fascinating. I actually heard somebody speak very seriously about this, speculating about whether, whether there were people in other planets and, and somewhere else in the galaxy. When he says, I have other folds, he thinks, you know, in terms of not on earth, somewhere else. And so the alien theories, you know, they proliferate. You can get them anywhere. So there are literally people who contemplate that. What is this other fold? You know, someone other than human beings? You know, what would they be like? The explanation's not really that far out. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. Right? Jesus was, was born a Jew under the law, born in Israel. He's speaking to the Jews in this part of His ministry. And He's telling them, I'm a good shepherd and I'm your shepherd. Like the shepherd of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I am that Lord who is your shepherd. And I'm, I'm your Israel. I have come fulfilling all of this in the Old Testament. The promises, the prophecies, and the typology. He says all of this. He says, but I have other sheep that are not of this fold, of this Israeli fold, so to speak. In other words, He's speaking of the rest of the New Testament where the Gospel goes out from Israel to all the nations. So people like us here on on a distant continent from where these words were spoken, of varying races and languages and tongues, various nationalities and ethnicities and from every walk of life, we are the other sheep. And he says, and they will come, they, they will hear my voice. The Gentiles, those who are not Jews, will hear my voice and they will come too. And there will be one flock, Jew and Gentile together, and there will be one shepherd. And that's the thing that I'm doing. And so he does. He brings them. He's given this flock by his Father. It's one flock drawn from all the nations of the earth. And Jesus knows this flock intimately. He loves this flock. He calls them my own. I know my own. And they know him. They listen to him. They follow him. And to save his flock, the good shepherd says he is willing to lay down his life for them. <clears throat> Father gave Jesus the Son this flock. But when he gave him the flock, he gave him a charge. Right, And that's, that's how it ends in the very last phrase of this section that I read in verse 18. He says, this is the charge I have received from my Father. He gave him a flock and He gave him a charge. This is what you are to do in caring for you know, this flock. This is your job. This is your calling. This is your mission. And really what it comes down to that the charge that Jesus has given turns out to be for us Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Right? That was the charge He was given. In particular, those two days. Of course, there's much more and it's much bigger. But, but in terms of the language of this text, 
In verses 17 and 18, he makes it quite clear. This is the reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, Good Friday, and that I may take it up again, Resurrection Day. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I give it freely. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. I have authority for Good Friday. That Good Friday wouldn't just be a death, but it would be an atoning death. I have the authority to take the life that I lived, that perfect life that you failed to live. I have the authority to, to lay that life down on the cross to cover the sins of others. A perfect Savior. I have authority to die in the place of those who need a Savior. I have the authority to give a sinless life for, for people whose lives are marked and tainted by sin. I have the authority not only to lay it down, but to take it up. I have the authority not to, to die as a Savior to cleanse people from their sin, but leave them in the grave. I have authority not only to lay it down and to cleanse from sin, but I have authority to take it up again, to conquer sin, death, judgment, and hell on behalf of those who would put their faith in Me. He's been given authority for Good Friday and Easter. And the first thing we need to see about this charge and understand is that this charge, the Father's charge to the Son, here is a flock. And I give you this charge over them, laying down and taking up. This charge is a charge of divine love. From eternity, from, from the Lord in heaven, who loves to the degree that He would give this charge. The Father loves the sheep that He has given to the Son. The Father loved them in a sense first, or at the same time, there was no division in this love. The Father loved the sheep, and He gave them to the Son, and the charge that He gives to the Son to, to pay this, to do this for the sheep is because He loves them. And we just read it a minute ago. It's, it's so familiar. It's almost trite. That God so loved His world that He gave, that He sent His only Son. He gave them this charge to lay it down and to take it up. He so loved the world, He gave His Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish could live now and forever in hope. It is for love that God gave His Son into the world. John says it again in the first letter that he wrote. Chapter 4, verse 9, he says this, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. What does God's love look like when God's love is manifest, shown forth, you know, put on display? What does it look like? In, in this, the love of God was manifested among us that He sent His only Son to be the shepherd of a flock into the world so that we who are His sheep might live through Him. Jesus' willing acceptance of the charge is also an act of divine love. Right? We see it running through the text, really, in John 13 as He describes the, the, the hired hand that flees. And He flees, He says, because He cares nothing for the sheep, unlike the Good Shepherd, who cares deeply for the sheep. Which is why He is willing to put His life on the line to stand in the gap for them. To save them. And that's where in verse 18 He says, nobody takes, takes it from Me. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down. I give it up. I offer it freely. Willingly. 
I came to do this. It's the reason I was born. I was given a charge to do this. It's Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came into the world not to be served. Could have been served. Son of Man is the Son of God. The Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He was God. And the Son of Man who comes could come to be served. But He didn't. He came to serve. What does that service look like, Lord Jesus? To give my life, to lay it down as a ransom, to purchase, to buy back those who are my own, my flock. He didn't have to come. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to give His life as a ransom. But it was for love. It was for love. In Ephesians 5, when Paul is trying to explain to husbands how to love their wives, how is it that you should love this woman? And he tries to give them a pattern, a picture. He says, husbands, you should love your wives like this, as like Christ loved His church, His sheep, His people. Love her like that. And what does that look like? Well, He gave Himself up for her. He sacrificed Himself. He paid great price in love for her, to protect her, and to nurture her, and to cherish her, and to care for her, and to bring her safely through in so many ways. It's for love. It says, Christ loved His church. The Father, the Son, love the sheep. Even as a bride loves, the groom loves the bride that is given to Him. And so the charge... For Jesus to lay down His life and take up His life is a charge of infinite divine love manifested on a particular day in history, on a particular piece of real estate on the earth, in a particular way upon a cross. It was manifest. The love of the Father and the love of the Son. And the charge itself is a mission, as we've said. The charge that was given was a mission to go into the world and to do exactly this. He says it four times through the passage to get what is the mission, the charge that the Father's given the Son. What is it all about? Why did it all happen this way? And we see it in 11, he says, to lay down my life. In 15, he says, to lay down my life. In 17, he says, I lay down my life. In verse 18, he says, I lay down my life. Luke 19 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The sheep would have have gone astray. And there was a price to be paid to bring those sheep into the fold safely. In 11 and 12, he tells us the reason that he lays down his life. He says, when he sees the wolves coming and the flock is in danger, when the flock is in mortal danger, when we had great need for Him to do this, it was life and death that should He not, we would be lost. And that's what He says again and again. That's the rest of so many ways. But we'll go to Romans 5.8. He says this, God shows His love. Again, this is an act of divine love. He shows His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He laid it down. While we were still sinners, James Montgomery Boyce commenting on that says this, the meaning of that is this, that we are sinners. As sinners, we deserve to die. We stand under judgment. Both physical and spiritual, he says, but Christ willingly died in our place, taking our punishment so that we might be set free from our sin. 
its penalty might be paid so that we might serve God. In many ways, that's the application of Good Friday and Easter, isn't it? Right? That He did this while we were still sinners, when we couldn't save ourselves, when we stood at odds with God who is light and in Him is no darkness at all, when we were still sinners, lost, that He dies for us. And the application is this, so that we might be set free from the sin and its penalty, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might live before God without fear, so that we might serve Him, walk with Him, know Him, even as He knows us. So Jesus, not only has the authority to lay it down, He had the authority to take it up. To take it up again. That's not a static event. In other words, that Jesus' charge is not just about what happened 2,000 years ago on a cross. Or 2,000 years ago when the tomb opened. It isn't, it isn't just about what happened in the past. The charge was to conquer sin and death on behalf of His people. And to do that, He rose from the grave, not back into this life, but to a life beyond death. A life that never dies. An eternal life. A different kind of a life. An undying, immortal life. And so the charge was about this conquering for time and eternity. To rise and to live. Jesus' charge is to live for His people. And just die for the sheep. He conquered our death. And He lives and He reigns for His people. We are to be a people connected to the resurrected life of Jesus. Right? And that's a life that that lives now. That's a life that exists now. That's a life that reigns at the right hand of the Father now. That is a, that is a life that lives in power and glory. And He says that, that Jesus' charge is to rise for us. That we, as a flock, might be connected to the resurrected life of Jesus for time and eternity. Alright, let me give you a couple of take-homes from that then too. The fact that the shepherd who laid down his life also was raised up to new life. And the first take home is this. You have a risen and and living Savior. A risen and living shepherd who still loves and cares for the sheep. The same love that drove him to the cross. The same power that raised him from the dead. He says it's still for us today. We read it in Ephesians chapter 1 that the eyes of our our hearts would be open so that we could see and understand the power that is for us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That we would understand the inheritance that He has won for us. That we would understand the present reality of a living and reigning Christ who is our shepherd. Right now, He will be a good shepherd to all who will put their faith and their trust in Him. That same good shepherd Loving and powerful. Willing and sacrificial. Gracious and good. He is willing right now to be that good shepherd to all who will put their faith and their trust in Him. He will lead you and care for you. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, as Jesus walked the earth and, and dealt with the crowds that, that He bumped into and that began to follow Him, and He said when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Like sheep without a shepherd. Some of you here today, and I have days, harassed and helpless. Full of stress, full of anxiety, maybe fear. Stuff, the dangers, the predators that come into our life in the form of illness and struggles and trials that are beyond our control. And they will harass us. And in so many ways, we are helpless against them. Harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And some of us are like that because whether we know it or not, we're trying to do life without a shepherd. A life that was intended to have a shepherd. So many will look on and say, what weakness is that? That you need a shepherd in the midst of all these things. But I would say that there is a, in that self-dependent, self-centered, self-aggrandizing sense of don't need, don't need a shepherd. Jesus paid the price to cover even that sin. To set us free from judgment. To set us free from death and hell. And the question for us this morning is, will you not take Jesus as Savior and Shepherd? The One who would pay the price that you can't afford to pay on the cross. The One who rises to life to conquer death for you so that you can be delivered from the fear of that day. But not just that, the Shepherd who will lead you moment by moment. The One who will give you strength when you are weary and weak. He gives hope to the despairing, comfort to the broken wisdom and guidance for us on our journey, the source of forgiveness when we fail. He is the way to the Father. and He is the way, He says, I give eternal life to my own, to my sheep, those who have trusted Me, those who have put their hope in Me and in Me alone. The most obvious goodness of the shepherd is when danger threatens. And He is with us. And He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And His rod and His staff, they comfort us. Because we know that with those, He stands in the gap for us. If the risen and reigning Lord is your shepherd, then you shall not want. He will lead you beside quiet waters. He will make you to lie down in green pastures. And He will restore your soul. The good shepherd lives. If the shepherd's charge was to lay down his life in the second take home from this, and if you are a sheep and you would embrace that role, if you would indeed put your hope and your trust in Christ as shepherd and as Savior, then, then the charge for him, we already know what that is. Now the charge for us as we see it here is that we hear his voice and that we follow him. In many ways, it's a very simple job that we have. To listen to the, His voice. And to follow Him. It's harder than you think. Because to follow Him is to not follow our own way and will. Right? To follow Him is to let go, in a sense, of that self-governing. It's to say, I have a shepherd who knows better than I do. And it's to love Him and to bow the knee to Him. And where He leads, I will follow. And He calls us to follow Him. And so that's what He said in verse 27 where we jumped ahead. The mark of the sheep is simply this, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. That's how you know who his sheep are. There's so many different ways that people talk about who's a sheep, who's not a sheep. Well, the number one way you can tell who's a sheep is they follow him. 
If they're not following Jesus, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with people and they tell me what they're planning to do or they tell me what's going on in their lives. And I say to them, you know, you know, Jesus went this way. You know, Jesus said this way. Jesus walked this way. And the way you're going, it's not in the direction of Jesus. You're not following Jesus. And in many ways, a lot of life and a lot of discipleship and a lot of counseling and a lot of getting things straight is to, is to call people, stop going your own way, follow Jesus. To make that choice to pursue Him. His sheep know His voice and He leads us in the path of life. And there's an obedience. Second Timothy, I was doing some devotion time this week in 2 Timothy in chapter 2.19. He said this, it's a verse that struck me as I'm contemplating this text. And he said, but God's firm foundation stands. Right? I'm just thinking God has laid a foundation and it stands and it bears a seal and the seal says two things on it. I want to know what those two things are that are on the seal on the foundation of God. Number one, the Lord knows those who are His. Right? That's what this text says over and over again. He knows those who are His. That's a great comfort, my friends. If you know Him, He knows those who are His. They are His own. And the second thing is, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity, depart from sin, to depart from that way and follow Jesus. It's, a found, it's on the foundation stone. Following Jesus means following Jesus. Ephesians 5.2, he says, walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. That is, it's just another way of saying follow Jesus by walking in love. Having a shepherd means having a new path in life. It means we don't go our own way. When Isaiah describes the problem of the human race and as he prophesies and looks ahead for the solution and what God would do to save us, he says this, this is the problem. All we like sheep have gone astray. We, we've turned. Every one of us, we're going our own way. And so the Lord had to lay on Him the iniquity of us all. Our self-centered, self-dependent, self-aggrandizing, self-serving, self-promoting life. And He had to lay all that on Him to deliver us from our own way. To lead us in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Jesus laid down His life and He bore our sin to put us on the right path. He will lead us in the paths of righteousness for His own name's sake. Are you ready to have a good shepherd? One who knows you? One who loves you? One who will pay the price for you? One who will not only pay the price in the past, but who will lead you in the present? One who can offer you a life that is eternal? One who can open the way to the Father as you follow the One who kept the Father's charge. Hey, do you belong to His flock? Do you know yourself to be one of His own? Trusting Him, putting your hope and your faith in Him and in Him alone? Do you know, have you embraced Him as your Savior, as your Shepherd? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish would have life. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You that You so loved Your world that You gave Your Son a charge. That You gave Him a flock. 
And you gave them a charge. Father, we would be that flock. We would be Your people. We would be known by You. We want to know You in return. We want to have all that Jesus has done to be for us. Oh Lord, help us to believe that what He did, He did for me. And that He might be my shepherd and my Savior. That You might come into my life as a living shepherd who can guide me and lead me and strengthen me and protect me and never leave me. Guide me in the paths of righteousness. In the paths eternal. Come near, Lord Jesus, and open our hearts that we may trust in You afresh with all that we are. That we would abandon our own ways and follow Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.